This morning we will be looking at Genesis chapter 30 from verse 25 down through the end of the chapter to verse 43. As we continue here in the story of the patriarch Jacob. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. The word of the Lord is completely without error. The word of the Lord is authoritative. And the word of the Lord is sufficient. Genesis chapter 30, beginning at verse 25. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me away, that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you, that I may go, for you know the service that I have given you. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your sight... I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages, and I will give it. Jacob said to him, You yourself know how I have served you, and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly. And the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now, when shall I provide for my own household also? He said, What shall I give you? Jacob said, You shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the spotted and the speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later, when you come to look into my wages with you. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, Good! Let it be as you have said. But that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it and every lamb that was black, and he put them in the charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is, the watering places, where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks, and so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the striped and all the black in the flock of Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the trials before the eyes of the flock that they might breed among the sticks. 
But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's, and the stronger, Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly and had great and had large flocks, female servants and male servants, and camels and donkeys. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Heavenly Father, we, we ask this morning that you would bless us by your word, that you would show us not only the wisdom of your word, but that you show us, O oh Lord, the hope of your word, the hope that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. This we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Well, it has been a very interesting time for our friend Jacob. He has now lived 14 years working hard, as we'll see a bit more later, working in the heat of the day and the cold of the night, tending to the flocks. This is the definition of manual labor. This is not an easy task. For 14 years he has labored to pay off his debt. The debt of his two wives. One of the wives he didn't even want. And now at this point, he has two wives that are upset with each other and with him. He has a virtual soap opera going on in his family. And we will see this continues to show itself even in his children. So what does Jacob do? How will he deal with the situation that is before him? You know, as we come to the end of the year, it is important to think about what we hope to accomplish in the year to come. What we would like to see the Lord do in our lives. And unfortunately, for many churches, so-called, this is an attempt to somehow pray or make some sort of incantation that the Lord would bless us materially. That if we just say the right things and live the right way, the bank accounts will rise, new cars will come in our driveway, people will start handing us money. But you see, this text here shows to us that what the Lord is doing in our lives is not primarily about the comfort that we have or the blessings that He gives to us materially. You see, all of this we will see in Jacob's life is not about blessing him materially. That is secondary. It is about making Jacob more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we look at this text, I would encourage you to think about ways in which the Lord can make you more like Jesus this year. Perhaps it will be in plenty. Perhaps it will be in want. But the goal that we strive toward is to be like Christ. And we see it here this morning in the action that is encapsulated in what I have called now three P's. Patience, perseverance, and providence. God is going to be at work in Jacob's life in a way in which seems odd. As I read that text, there were certain sections of it, I'm sure, that you read and said, that just seems very weird. What's the deal with the sticks? Why pick the spotted and the speckled? Well, let's find out together. 
Let's begin then by looking at the patience that Jacob is expressing. Now remember who Jacob is. He is the trickster. He is the one who is trying to get what he wants. He can't wait. If there is a microwave to be found in the ancient Near East, Jacob will find it. What can I do to cut something off short? Where is the way that I can go to cut the red tape? I want the blessing now. I want the birthright now. I want the wife now. Come on, give it to me now. Are you like that at times? Do you want the spouse that you think God needs to provide you now? Do you want children now? Do you want your children to be who you think they should be now? Do you want your parents to be who you think they should be now? You see, so often we are struck by this and we fail to exhibit patience. I want to warn you, if you fail to exhibit patience like Jacob, God may just take his time teaching you patience. Fourteen years have gone by and now finally it seems that the time has come for Jacob to leave. You can almost imagine that Jacob has been waiting for the opportunity. The text is very vivid here. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, All right, let me go. Now, can you picture this? Rachel gives birth to Joseph, and Jacob says to himself, Okay, she's got a baby. Now we can get out of here. You can almost imagine him saying to the servants, Wrap the baby up, clean her up, I'm going to go talk to Dad. She's probably not even off the birthing bed. And he says, okay, i got to go now. We're ready to go. One can assume that Leah's been ready to go for some time now. Being around home is just a reminder of the trick and the fact that Jacob didn't want her. But now, finally, Rachel is ready to go. She has a baby to care for of her own. She won't care if she leaves mom, dad, the goats, the cows, anything, because she's got a baby. Right, moms? That new baby, and you stare in the baby's eyes, especially if you've waited 14 years and watched babies come up everywhere. But for you. Jacob is beginning now, too, to long for home. He's a changed man. God has been working on him. Maybe you have experienced this. Maybe you couldn't wait to get out of your hometown. To get out from under your parents' roof, to strike out on your own, to be hundreds if not thousands of miles away, and you think, this will be great. No one to tell me what to do anymore. Now I can be my own man. And then you do it. And you realize it isn't as easy as you thought it was. You say to yourself, I didn't realize I had to pay for that. I didn't realize I had to work for this. I didn't realize nobody just helps you out with this. And the years go by. And after a while, there comes a point where you admit to yourself, you know, being home isn't so bad. You actually enjoy going back and visiting. You look forward to it. And I think that kind of homesick bug has struck Jacob now. He realizes that he is not the smartest man on the face of the earth. There will come a day, young people, when you will realize that too. That you're not. And he says, I miss mom. I miss dad. You can almost imagine him even saying, you know, I even kind of, sort of miss Esau. 
I would like to go home. Now, there's other motivations for him wanting to go. He's been patient these 14 years, but could you imagine living with this kind of father-in-law? Now, I want you all to think of your in-laws. And now I want you to thank the Lord that your in-laws are not Laban. Because no matter what the situation is, it's not as bad as who Laban is. Right? He tricks him to marry the wrong daughter. We're going to learn in weeks to come that he changes his wages ten times. He doesn't really even treat him like a son. He treats him like the hired help. So you can imagine Jacob would be ready to leave. But also, I think by now, after nearly 15 years have gone by, Jacob probably says to himself, you know, I'm thinking that by now Esau has calmed down a little bit. I don't think he wants to kill me anymore. Remember, he thought he was just going to be gone a month or two. He wasn't planning on spending 14 years finding a wife, wives. So he says, you know, I think now this could be good. We could finally sit down and talk like brothers again. But I think the third and most motivating factor here for Jacob is the promise of God. You see, Jacob doesn't just live in any ordinary family. It's not just a Norman Rockwell kind of painting hometown that he looks forward to. Jacob knows that the promise of God and the covenant of God belongs with his family. The blessings of the nations from Abraham to Isaac to him. And he realizes that it is about time that I went home and took my place in the family. To be a blessing to others. To know that the world is not just about me and what I want, but how I can be a blessing to my father, to my mother, to my friends, to the nations around me. Because this is what God has promised. Now, this is a very mature attitude for Jacob. He's been patient. He's been through much. He's longing for home. But the other thing that we see here is that he is looking out for others. His personality has been changed. The old Jacob would have tried to do anything he could to get a leg up on someone else. Do you think Jacob actually thought how Esau would feel after he finally figured out he'd been tricked out of the birthright? Do you think he considered how Isaac would be anguished when he tricked the blessing out of him? No. Jacob had only three people that he was concerned about. Me, myself, and I. The same person. But now he has been changed, and we see this in his interaction with Laban. He says to Laban, send me away that I may go, for I have served you. Now, notice the first thing. He's polite. This is not like Jacob. He's not grabbing at what's not his. He's actually being respectful. He's actually showing respect to someone who, quite frankly, doesn't deserve any respect. That's a major character change. Is that a challenge for you? You see, I would challenge you that it's easy to be respectful and kind to people who are respectful and kind to you. But how do you act toward people who are miserable toward you? Who beat you down? Who say bad things about you behind your back? How do you act toward them? 
The Bible has something to say about repaying evil with evil. It says that we should repay evil with good to show the difference that the Lord has made in our life. And so Jacob is being respectful and he says, I'd like to go and Laban is up to his own tricks. Laban says to him, if I have found favor in your sight, I've learned that basically I'm rich because you're around, Jacob. You're my good luck charm. You're my rabbit's foot. Couldn't you hang around a little bit longer? Now, you could imagine what would go through Jacob's mind. What am I? Do I exist to be a a charm? Wait a minute. You don't have enough now? I came here, you had little, now you got a whole bunch. You need still more? You see, it had already worked out very well for Laban. He'd already tricked him once. And Laban has observed Jacob's character and behavior. He's seen him at work, and he has observed the blessing of God in his midst. The text actually says, wherever Jacob turned his foot, there was blessing. You couldn't help but notice. And Laban is not there yet. He's not a godly man, and we see this in the way he describes it. He says, I know by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Now, divination is something that is forbidden in the Bible. It is the ancient art of trying to tell the future with such scientific instruments as chicken insides and goat livers and things of the sort. I'm serious. They actually paid people, professionals, to lay out the insides of animals and to read them. This is not unlike tarot cards, except for tarot cards are not as messy. It's foolishness thinking that you can tell what the future brings or why things are happening because of some kind of mumbo-jumbo. But you see, Laban knows that he can't just speak mumbo-jumbo to Jacob or Jacob will get angry and leave. So he tries to put it in churchy language. He says, you know, I've divined that um, the Lord your God is blessing me because of you. He says, maybe if I throw him a bone. Maybe if I make a nice God comment, he'll hang around. And you see, this is often how the world will work around Christians. Perhaps you have even done this. Someone has been a blessing to you and it's obvious that their prayers are effectual. That something about this person, the way God has changed them, the things that they claim make a difference and you don't know why, but you want to get a hold of that and you say, you know... I'm not so sure about this Jesus thing, but I really like having you around. As a pastor, you see this all the time when people come up and say to you, would you pray for me? Not in a generic way, but somehow God will listen to you better than he'll listen to me. I'm not going to bother to pray, but if you pray, the situation will be resolved. Have you been tempted to do that? To think in that way? To walk up to a certain person, a prayer warrior. It's tempting, isn't it? I would be tempted to walk up to Marie Lynch and say, Marie, you take this prayer. But you see, that's not what God wants from us. He doesn't want show. He wants reality and He wants change. And so what does Jacob do? How does he respond? Well, you see, Jacob has spent all this time working very hard and Laban sees it. And this is a character change. 
What could Jacob have done? Well, Jacob could have said to himself, Well, 14 years I've got to work. Guess what? I start 30 seconds before starting time. And when quitting time comes, I'm out the door. And I'm going to take every second of my lunch. And I'm going to stroll when I work. And if some sheep get lost, some sheep get lost. Let me find the bare minimum. And that's what I'll do. He could have said, you know, Laban deserves the bare minimum. He tricked me. He doesn't even deserve this work. So I'm not going to work hard. Why should I? What's in it for me? Am I describing the way you think about your own occupation? Work in an office? Work in a home? You say to yourself, these kids don't appreciate what I do for them. I'm not going to go the extra mile. You know, this company does not think of me as the way that they should. I'm just going to put in my time. But you see, the problem there is that we work as unto men. And Jacob has learned and been changed that now what we are to do is we are to work as unto God. And God blesses. So Jacob puts forth great effort. And Laban sees this. And he notices it. And he begins his negotiations. He says, what could I possibly pay you? But Jacob has learned. You don't negotiate with Laban. Because he's going to trick you. So if you'll notice, Jacob doesn't answer. He says, you yourself know how I have served you. This is what happens. He doesn't say what the wages will be. He doesn't want to get caught in the trap. And Laban pushes. He says, what shall I give you? You see, he wants to get control over Jacob once again. He says here in verse 30, For you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. It's the Lord who is responsible and I need to provide for my family, he says. You see, Laban wants to control Jacob. He wants to actually make it seem like he's the one providing the blessing. What can I give to you? And Jacob won't take the bait because it's the exact opposite of what Laban has said earlier. That God is responsible for all of this blessing. And Laban is trying to control Jacob and Jacob will have none of it. He's a patient man. He also has to persevere through difficulty. Because you see, and this will come to a shock, as a shock to you, the world can be an awful kind of a place. Things don't go right. People do not treat you as they ought. And the problem with that is we see it and somehow we wish it were different and we get bitter and harsh. And I think this is especially a temptation for those who follow the Lord Jesus Christ. We think that we've made that decision to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. We're on the right path. God is supposed to bless us. That's His part of the deal. And when things go wrong, we think somehow God has forgotten us or God is punishing us. And we fail to realize that God molds us through trials and difficulties. And so what Jacob does is he begins now express and to show to Laban and to us his perseverance in the face of difficulty. And it begins with his trust in the Lord, that he is trusting the Lord to bless him. Look with me again here at verse 31. What shall I give you? 
Laban says. And Jacob says something that came out of Grandpa's mouth. He says, you won't give me anything. You won't be responsible. You won't get the praise and the honor. You won't get the credit. No, it's God who's brought me this far. And I will trust Him. I don't need you, Laban. I don't need your tricks. I don't need your money. I have God. And this is a good lesson for us to learn. For you see, oftentimes we are tempted to trust in the things of the world, to trust in circumstances instead of the Lord. And you see, Jacob desires to bless the Lord. It's a cardinal duty of work that all of the benefit of your hard work, God deserves the praise and the glory for. Are you skilled? Are you intelligent? Do you have good health and are able to work? All of those things come from God. They don't come from others. They certainly don't come from you. They come from the Lord. And Jacob wants to keep things in proper perspective, exactly like Abraham did when the king of Sodom thought he could get one up on Abraham by saying, what can I give you? And then ten minutes later, I'll walk around and point at Abraham. You see, rich, powerful Abraham? I gave him those flocks. And just as Abraham would not let anyone but God get any of the credit, so Jacob is as well. And he does something that's shocking. He does something that is so radical that I can't imagine any of us jumping to do this. He comes up with a plan. A plan to earn his wages and make sure that God gets all the glory. He's counting on Laban's character, as we'll see in a minute. He comes up with a plan that Laban will jump at, probably literally. He says to Laban, let me tell you what we'll do. How about, look at that big flock. How about I take all of the scrawny, small, few animals, and those will be my wages. You see, when he talks about the striped and the spotted, he's not talking about the fancy animals He's not talking about the pretty animals. What he's talking about in our terms that we understand of genetics, these are the animals who have the recessive traits. There are very few of them. Typically speaking, the goats are brown and the lambs are white. And so out of maybe every hundred, a half dozen or so come out spotted or speckled or striped. He wants the runts of the litter you can imagine Laban's wheels begin to turn. And Jacob doesn't even give him a chance to think this is a trick. Look at verse 33. He says, this is no trick. You test me. He says, my honesty will answer for me later. When you come and look into my wages, if you think I'm doing this as a trick and I'm going to hide some of the regular animals in a cave or somewhere or I'm going to paint on them, if you find anyone that even accidentally comes into my flock who's not spotted or speckled, count it as stolen. Not just I'll give it back. Count it as stolen. You see, this is a real test that Jacob is having. What's 
he doing? Why is he setting up this trick, so to speak? Why is he wanting the, the small, the spotted, the speckled? Well, it's because he knows that's the path of blessing. If you turn quickly with me to chapter 31, and we look at verse 10, we see why Jacob has picked this odd plan. It's an odd plan. It's not a wise plan in human terms, but it's the plan that is God's plan, and therefore it is infallible. Look at verse 10. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes, and I saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in a dream, Jacob, and I said, Here I am. And he said, Lift up your eyes and see. All the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. You see, God has told him, this is what you do. It goes against every form of human wisdom. Jacob should have come up with some kind of a better percentage. How about I get 35% of the flocks? How about we test them afterwards and we put them in categories? Strong, not so strong, and weak. And we divide them up equally. No. Jacob says, I will trust the Lord and I will follow Him. Now, I don't think many of you are going to own goats. I don't think you're going to worry about what color they are. But you see, this principle applies just as much to you and me today as it did to Jacob. Because you see, we have a word from God. And what God lays down in His word is the path for success, without exceptions, no matter what the world says. You see, the world will tell you, don't bother to get married. There's nothing in it for you. Keep your options open. God's word says, you are to be married to one and remain faithful. And I will bless you. The world says, oh, shave a few corners. Cheat just a little bit on your taxes. Uncle Sam doesn't deserve it anyway. He's like Laban. Be dishonest. Come on. Then you'll prosper. Then you'll have what you need. But God says, you shall not steal. And that is the path of success and life and godliness. You see, we are to follow God's plan all of the time, even when we are not sure it leads to success. We don't follow God's plan because we think it will work. That is foolishness. Because that puts our judgment above God's. We follow the path of the Lord because He has said so. He is wise. He is good. And Jacob does this in the face of a world that thinks he's crazy. Does that sound familiar to you? I mean, can you imagine this scene here? He says, let me make a deal with you to Laban. Now, if you've got to get the visual here. If Laban were drinking something, it would come out as spit. You know when someone does that when they're flabbergasted? They're and he jumps out of his chair. And he uses exclamations. Good. Where do I sign? Right now. Where do I go? 
I can't believe Jacob's being this foolish. He wants the runts. He wants the few. And also the wheels have already started turning. He says, ooh, I know how I can make this even a better deal for me. For you see, Jacob is in the face of the world. Jacob is tested by the world. And he has a formidable opponent. His opponent, his opponent is selfish. His opponent is grasping. He's devious. He's deceitful. He's dishonest. Jacob does not have an easy time of it here. Laban says, I agree to this. And the ink isn't even dry, so to speak, on the contract. And he runs out the door. And he tells his sons, grab every animal with a spot on it. Every single one. And let's gather them up all together and get them out of Jacob's sight. So even the few that are already there that are spotted or speckled or striped, Laban doesn't even want to give him those few. He takes them all off. And he says, okay, now, sons, you are in charge. Don't put the servants in charge. Don't just take them somewhere. You watch them night and day. Because the last thing we want, guys, is a couple of these spotted animals to get back into the flock, and then maybe they have spotted babies. We don't want that. And then the third thing he does, to add insult to injury, is he says, go three days off. Now, you have to understand, three days off, in the ancient world, is kind of like saying a country mile. He says, go that way and start walking. And don't stop walking until you're sure nobody knows where you came from. Get as far away as possible. We don't want any chance of intermingling here. We don't want any chance of Jacob succeeding. We're going to teach him who's boss and who's smart. He didn't learn that business is business. So Laban lays all of this on top of Jacob. What can Jacob do? Have you ever felt outfoxed in this way? Someone that you know has manipulated you or has manipulated circumstances so you can't succeed and you don't know what to do. You're, you feel desperate. How do I possibly succeed here? What can I do? It was hard enough at the beginning, but now they're cheating. That's frustrating, isn't it? You ever been involved in an athletic contest where the other side cheats? And the referee or the umpire doesn't see or doesn't care? Your blood starts to boil. It's not fair. It's unjust. How can I beat this opponent? Jacob might have been tempted to say that. But you see, Jacob had an ally. His ally was one who was good. Open-handed, upright, straightforward, generous, and compassionate. His ally was God. And no one can resist the will of God. You see, God had willed to bless His servant Jacob, the child of the covenant, and all of the tricks that Laban could muster would come to nothing. Because you see, we see that in our third and final point. The providence of God overruling all things. Jacob then begins to put into action the plan that he had seen from God. And you can imagine what he does. He works very hard. He's been called to hard work. 
He works hard to counteract what Laban has done. Now, I want you to notice this. Jacob knows God is on his side, but he doesn't sit on the couch and say, well, God will take care of it. He goes to work. He says, God will answer my prayers and my hard work, and I am going to get after it. And he does this crazy bit of stuff. He takes the sticks and he cuts the bark off a part of it so it's striped, and he does this, sets it up with where they take the water and all of this business. It's a lot of hard work. And we might ask ourselves, what's involved here? Is this some kind of crazy superstition that Jacob gets into? Because you see, in the ancient world, they actually believed this kind of stuff worked. Right? So, you know, if, for example, you want your children to grow up to be good, solid Michigan fans, the first thing you do when they're born is you stick a big M in front of them. Oh, okay. Or better yet, you make your wife wear a Michigan sweatshirt for a while. And then that's sure to happen. Well, that's foolish, right? Well, they actually believed this. Kind of like they believed that mandrakes would make it more likely for you to bear children. So is Jacob caught up in this kind of superstition? No, I don't think so. I don't think God is working in spite of foolish superstitions. I think what God is doing here is he has given Jacob a test. A test to encourage his faith. I think this scene is very much like the scene of the serpent in the wilderness. You remember that? When the Israelites were stung and they needed healing and God told Moses to build the giant snake on a pole and to hold it up and the people would look and they would be saved. Well, the the giant snake did not have magic properties. The saving power was in the faith that looked. And so it is here. God says to Jacob, I want you to do something absolutely ridiculous. I want you to take the sticks and set them up and carve off the bark and and don't worry about it. I will bless you. And so Jacob obeys. He trusts God and he follows after him. And we'll see later, next chapter, that God has a way of making sure in his providence that things come out exactly as he wants. Laban tries to trick him. He says, oh, didn't we say speckled? I thought we said speckled. And then the flocks would all bear speckled. And he, no, 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 I thought we said striped. Striped is what we said, isn't it? And then they'd all bear striped. Oh, wait a minute, no, 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 I meant dark. That's what I meant. And then they'd all bear dark. Because you see, it's not the wood, it's not the flocks, it's not the tending, it's God. God is blessing his child. And he blesses Jacob beyond anything that he could ever imagine. Six long years Jacob works. And do you remember what Jacob wanted from God? Do you remember Jacob's big prayer? Look with me at chapter 28. This is the big prayer that Jacob had in verse 20. He says, I want God to be with me and keep me and give me bread to eat and clothes on my back so that I can come back to my father's house in peace. And as so often happens, the gracious God says, Jacob, son, you don't even know how to pray to me. You're asking me for some stale bread and something on your back. Because it delights me, I'm going to give you flocks and herds and wives and children and wealth 
and happiness and goodness and a relationship with me and blessing. Can you imagine? Jacob's jaw must have just dropped prosperity beyond anything that he could possibly imagine. Look at the end of this chapter. He has large flocks, female servants, male servants, camels and donkeys. And as one commentator reminds us, camels were not domesticated at this time of history. Having camels was like having a fleet full of BMWs in your driveway. Nobody had that. Beyond anything he could imagine. And the text actually says that Jacob increased very, very. About as much as you could. Superlative upon superlative. Why does God do this? Does God do this to get back at Laban for doing something he shouldn't? Is God trying to level out the playing field to make sure that everybody gets what they deserve? I don't think so. Is God doing this because Jacob's a great guy? I don't think so. Is God doing this because Jacob has arranged to have the perfect godly family picture? No. You go into his house, I'm sorry to say I don't think Jacob qualifies to be an officer of the church. There's so much mess and fighting. No, God does this because of his covenant with Jacob. He blesses him. In the same way, God will bless the Israelites who are reading about this at the feet of Moses when Moses says, God will bless you and keep you because of the covenant that He has made with you. And in the same way, you will be blessed by the covenant that God has made and kept for you. The new covenant in our Lord Jesus Christ. No matter what opposition from the world goes, you will persevere. No matter what difficulty is before you, God will grant you patience. No matter what you see failing before you, the providence of God will carry you to the desired end. It may not be a house full of flocks and herds and wealth, but He will carry you to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ and the house that is prepared for you in glory, before the presence of God. Let's pray.